In these podcasts, we uncover one chapter after another from the life of the Prophet ﷺ in an attempt to learn about him, love him, and better ourselves through his example. Immersion, mentorship, companionship, and tarbiyah. These are just a few of the things we offer alongside knowledge of the prophetic biography at the Sirah Intensive. Two weeks dedicated to the study of the life of the Prophet ﷺ and his noble characteristics. So this winter, inshallah, join me in Dallas, Texas, alongside your classmates from all over the world to learn the story of the life of the best of humanity, the mercy to mankind, the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. Go to sirahintensive.com to register or for more info. Bismillahi walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Inshallah, continuing with our study of the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, as-siratu nabawiyah, the prophetic biography. In the previous session, we were talking about the umrah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, umratul qadaa. And as we talked about, this was the second time the Prophet ﷺ assumed the state of ihram, right? It's described as the second umrah. The first time he didn't actually perform the rites of the umrah. It counts as an umrah, you get the reward of the umrah, uh, the minor pilgrimage, because they were blocked from entering into Mecca and the Treaty of Hudaybiyah occurred. The second time the Prophet ﷺ donned the ihram and went into the state of ihram, uh, the sacred state was to actually do what can be called the follow-up umrah or the makeup umrah, uh, which they did a year later per the terms of the treaty of Hudaybiyah. So we talked about the entirety of the umrah and the procedure and the performance of the umrah. And as we had mentioned, the treaty of Hudaybiyah had stipulated that they would have three days to remain in Mecca, perform their umrah, and then remain there for a duration of three days. To enjoy, to be able to worship, to be able to spend time at the haram, at the Kaaba, and so on and so forth. What we're going to be talking about today is three things specifically. I had mentioned this at the end of the session previously. We're going to be talking about three things. Number one, we're going to talk about the exit of the Prophet ﷺ from Mecca. There's even a story, there was a little bit of detail I mentioned in the previous session. There was some tension in the Prophet ﷺ leaving the city of Mecca. The second thing that we're going to be speaking about is the marriage, uh, or excuse me, the second thing we're going to talk about is the adoption of the daughter of Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib, the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, the adoption case of his daughter, the custodianship, the guardianship of his daughter. The third thing that we're going to be talking about is the marriage of the Prophet ﷺ to the mother of the believers, Maymuna radiallahu ta'ala anha, Maymuna bint al-Harith. And we'll speak about them in this particular order, insha'Allah. So the very first thing is about the exit of the Prophet ﷺ from the city of Mecca. So... We were talking about the narration previously where it says that throughout the entirety of the three days, throughout the entire three days, the Muslims, the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims were in the city of Mecca, performing Umrah, worshipping at the Kaaba, doing Tawaf, drinking Zamzam, so on and so forth. The whole time they were there, وَتَغَيَّبَ الرِّجَالُ مِنْ أَشْرَافِ, من أشراف الْمُشْرِكِينَ أَنْ يَنْذُرُوا إِلَى رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم غيظاً وحنقاً ونفاسة وحسداً. 
وَخَرَجُوا إِلَى الْخَنْدَمَةِ So I had talked about how a lot of crowd had kind of gathered around and were watching them the whole time. But many of the leaders... For the entire three days, the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims would be in Mecca. Even though there was the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, this is a very important thing to note. Because as we're going to be talking about, it is the Mushrikun, it is the people of Quraysh, it is the people of Mecca who violated the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. As we're going to be talking about very soon. But even up until the point where they actually violated the treaty... Even prior to that, there are some very stark, very clear indicators about their conduct, about their behavior, about the way that they, uh, their attitude towards the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims. And we saw that with their arrival into the city of Mecca. And we see that here as well, that many of the leaders, the chiefs of Quraysh, they left the city of Mecca. Almost out of protest. Out of protest... Again, not explicitly saying that they were against this because there was a written treaty in place. But almost as a form of like quiet protest, they decided to leave the city of Mecca. They went out to the outskirts of Mecca to a place called Khandama and they stayed there for an entire three days. Saying, we don't want to be there. We don't want to see this all happening. Whatever, it's written in the treaty, it, it's going to happen. But we don't ha- that doesn't mean that we have to stand by and support it and watch it and be a part of it. And so you kind of see that their attitude and their conduct was very adversarial. It was very confrontational, very passive-aggressive. So the Prophet ﷺ and the Sahaba stayed in the city of Mecca for three days. And... When the morning of the fourth day arrived, when the three days were complete, فَلَمَّا أَنْ أَصْبَحَ مِنَ الْيَوْمِ الرَّابِعِ أَتَاهُ سُهَيْلِ بْنُ عَمَرِ سُهَيْلِ بْنَ عَمَرِ وَحُوَيْطِبْ إِبْنَ عَبْدِ الْعُزَّةِ So these two people, Suhail bin Amr and Huwaytib. Now, Suhail bin Amr is a very interesting person because he was the primary negotiator on behalf of the Quraysh for the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. He came along with Huwaytib, who was another basically representative of the leadership of the Quraysh. They came to the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ was sitting in a gathering of the Ansar. Many of the Medinan Muslims who had come to perform Umrah with the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ was having a conversation with Sa'ad bin Ubadah, who was one of the leaders of the Ansar. فَصَاحَ حُوَيْطِبْ إِبْنَ عَبْدِ الْعُزَّةِ نُنَاشِدُكَ اللَّهَ وَالْعَقْدَ لَمَا خَرَجْتَ مِنْ أَرْضِنَا فَقَدْ مَضَتِ الثَّلَاثِ He says that I evoke you. I invoke the name of God. I invoke the name of God and I invoke the covenant, the contract that we have in place, the treaty that we were both a party to, that you have not yet exited our land while three days have passed. This is not how you speak to an ally. This is not how you speak to supposedly a friend. Right? But this is how he walks in, Fasaha. He screams this in the middle of the gathering, make, turning it into a scene, basically creating a scene. Fakala Sa'ad ibn Ubada. Sa'ad ibn Ubada responds, he retorts. And part of the response of Sa'ad ibn Ubada is just the blatant, the outright disrespect and attitude that he's showing towards the Prophet. So he says, Kadabta. لَا أُمَّ لَكَ لَيْسَ بِأَرْضِكَ وَلَا بِأَرْضِ آبَائِكَ وَاللَّهِ لَا يَخْرُجُ 
Sa'ad bin Ubada is kind of one of those moments of you need to watch yourself. You need to be careful how you talk and who you talk to. So he kind of says, he says, you lie. La umma laka. It's like an expression literally translated means you don't have a mother. But in Arabic, the expression basically means didn't anyone teach you any manners? Didn't anyone teach you any manners? And then he says, this is not your land, nor is this the land of your forefathers. What he means by that is, this is what he means by that is that this is the land of the land of Allah. This is the land of Allah. This is the land of Allah. The entire earth, everything belongs to Allah. Alright? Everything belongs to God. Right? And then particularly, this is the haram. This is the, this is the sanctuary. A holy, sacred place. This is the place, the house of God. What do you mean your land? And so he kind of responds back to him. Because he doesn't appreciate how he's speaking to the Prophet And particularly, you think about it, it's also very aggravating. You call yourself an ally, and then you come and you confront me this way. What kind of an, uh, ally, what kind of an alliance is this? And so, he says, Wallahi la yakhruj. He says, no, the Prophet will not leave, shall not leave. He's very emotional. And Sa'ad bin Ubadah radiallahu ta'ala anhu, this leader of the Ansar, he was known as being somebody who was very passionate. He was very emotional. You get really riled up. So you see that here. The Prophet said, everybody calm down. And he said, Suhail and Huwaitib, the two uh, representatives of the Quraysh, he said, may I please speak to you? Let me talk to you. Have a seat. Now this is part of the story that I'll be talking about at the very end of the session here today. But just very briefly to mention... When the Prophet ﷺ was coming down from Medina to Mecca, when they were coming down in Ihram to perform Umrah from Medina to Mecca, at that particular time there was a proposal that was presented to the Prophet ﷺ for marriage. And that was for a woman by the name of Maymuna bint al-Harith, radiallahu ta'ala anha. And I'll be talking more about the proposal, who gave the proposal, what exactly the details were, so that I can kind of speak about that all in one place and it doesn't seem scattered and confusing. But nevertheless, proposal was given to the Prophet about Maymuna radiallahu ta'ala anha. And the Prophet accepted the proposal, she accepted the proposal. And the aqad, the kitab or the nikah, right? The actual marriage ceremony was performed on the way from Medina to Mecca. On the way from Medina to Mecca. The marriage was not, as we say, consummated. They did not move in together. They did not have the walima. Because the Prophet ﷺ was in a state of ihram. And physical intimacy with one's spouse is not permissible in a state of ihram. Okay? So for that very reason, they sat... The marriage proposal was made, the contract was done, the ijab in qubul. Do you um, accept, or do you make, the, 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 the groom is asked, do you give the proposal, do you accept her into your marriage? And he responds by accepting. And then the wife, or the bride in this case, is to be asked that do you accept being given into the wedlock, the marriage of such and such, of so and so. And she accepts, and that basically is a marriage contract, the nikah ceremony. That was done on the way from Medina to Mecca. 
but the marriage was not consummated. They did not move in together yet. What that basically means is that just the kitab, the aqad, the nikah was done, but the walima had not been done yet. They had not begun to live together yet. So the Prophet ﷺ, due to this, and Maymuna radiallahu ta'ala anha, this woman, the mother of the believers, who would marry the Prophet ﷺ, she had family in Mecca, which we'll be talking about later when we talk about her story uh, by itself towards the end of the session, inshallah. She had family in Mecca. So for that reason, the Prophet ﷺ calls him and he says, Inni qad nakahtu fikum imra'atan. I have married a woman who has family and relatives amongst you. I mean, this is how an ally speaks. The Prophet ﷺ said, I have married a woman who has family amongst y'all here in Mecca. So, how would it be harmful to you if I was to stay for just a little while longer to the point where we can basically move in together, have the actual wedding, the ceremony, and followed by the walima, that he says we will cook food, we will prepare food, we will eat, and you will eat with us. What the Prophet ﷺ just did, to put it into plain language, these mushrikun of Mecca, the leaders of the Quraysh, the same ones who are calling him out, who are yelling and screaming, in spite of there being an agreement, and an alliance, and a pact, Okay, the Prophet ﷺ just invited them to his wedding. He said, look, we're supposed to be allies. We're supposed to be on the same page, quite literally. We have a contract. We have a pact, an agreement. Why don't you relax, take a deep breath. We're not going to be doing anything. We're going to have a wedding. And then you come and celebrate my wedding with me. Doesn't that sound like a great idea? Doesn't that sound like how you would build an alliance? You would strengthen an alliance? And they respond by saying, They said that, no, once again, I invoke you in the name of God, and I invoke you in the name of the contract that we have signed, that you exit now. You leave us. Three days are up, go. Be gone. We're done. And in some narrations, it's even more direct, where they say things like, Leave us. Leave Mecca. We don't want you here. Nevertheless, the Prophet ﷺ, so this is where that tension occurs. And some of the Sahaba are extremely, extremely agitated by this particular behavior. But the Prophet ﷺ calms down. Some narrations even mention, and I'll be talking about what the relationship there is. But the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, Abbas anhu. He even comes and basically tries to reason with them. He comes and tries to reason with them. And he says, listen, this is my nephew. And Maymuna radiallahu ta'ala anha, as we're going to talk about, she's his sister-in-law. She's his, sis- his wife's sister. So he says, it's, he's my nephew. She is my wife's sister. This is family. Am I not a respectable man amongst you? Let this happen. What's the big deal? What's the problem? But they're so stubborn. They say, absolutely not. He has to leave and he has to leave now. And the Prophet ﷺ calms everyone down and says, don't worry, this is not worth fighting over. Let us go. Let's go ahead and head out. 
So that was how they exited even Mecca, where there was some tension that was created on the side of the mushrikun, the Quraysh. Nevertheless, the second thing that I wanted to talk about here is as they were leaving um, the city of Mecca, there was another incident, another case. What happened in this particular case was, and, I, and I'll lay this out as clearly as I can, Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib, Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the Hamza, the uncle of the Prophet who was also a foster brother of the Prophet They were nursed by the same woman. So, and Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu was younger than the father of the Prophet quite a bit younger. In fact, they had different mothers. The, the father of the Prophet and Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu had the same father, but they had different mothers. So, the reason why I mentioned that, why that's relevant is, Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, like you would assume an uncle to be, Hamza radiallahu anhu is not a lot older than the Prophet just a little bit older than the Prophet So they were very close in age to one another. And because of being very close in age to one another, they had a very, they were foster brothers, they were nursed by the same woman. They were radai, milk brothers, that's called in Arabic. And not only that, but their relationship had more of a dynamic of big brother, little brother, than it was uncle and nephew. They were like brothers. Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu was like the big brother of the Prophet Always an arm around his shoulder, looking up for him, checking on him, joking with him, talking to him. Very close. Very close. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ was so happy when Hamza radiallahu came to Islam. And that's also why the Prophet ﷺ was so distraught and upset and devastated at the passing and the death of Hamza radiallahu ta'ala. The murder, the assassination of Hamza radiallahu ta'ala in the battle of Uhud. Nevertheless, they come here to Mecca, they perform the Umrah, now this whole situation occurs that we just talked about on leaving Mecca. And as they are leaving Mecca, something happens. The daughter of Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu is there in Mecca. The daughter of Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu is there in Mecca. She comes out, she rushes out to the outskirts of the city of Mecca as they're departing. And she comes out screaming, yelling, calling, little girl. And she comes out yelling, Ya Ammi, Ya Ammi. Ya Ammi, Ya Ammi. Uncle, uncle, please. And she's very, she's, she's distraught, she's upset, she's panicking. This little girl's been by herself, lost her father. And the way the story is described, the way it's laid out, it seems as if her mother maybe was not in the picture. So it's very likely, it's very possible that maybe her mother passed away. So she's by herself. And she knows that so many, so, so many members of her family have come to Mecca. From the Prophet ﷺ. Who's her? Father's, her deceased father, her late father's nephew and foster brother. Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu is there. Who is her father's nephew. Jafar bin Abi Talib is there. Who is also her father's nephew. Zayd bin Haritha, who was like the adopted son of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
So again, his relationship with Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu was also like that of, you know, uh, a brother. And so, she comes out seeing that all these family members were here and they're leaving and she's going to get left behind again. So she's very upset and very distraught and she comes out, Ya Ammi, Ya Ammi, don't leave me here. Take me with you. فَتَنَاوَلَهَا عَلِيٌّ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَلَىٰ عَنْهُ Ali bin Abi Talib رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَلَىٰ عَنْهُ He holds her hand. Fatima رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَلَىٰ عَنْهَا who is there on the journey as well. Fatima, the daughter of the Prophet She's there on the journey as well. She picks her up. She picks her up, lifts her up and hugs her and comforts her. It's okay, it's okay. They go to the Prophet and they say, Oh Messenger of God, what do we do? And at this point in time, something truly remarkable occurs. They start to, different members of the family come and they start to campaign. They start to make their case, state their case for taking care of the daughter of Hamza radiallahu anhu. For taking her in. Like adopting her, raising her as one of their own. So the three people who come to the Prophet to make a case are Ali, Zaid, and Ja'far. So Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he says, وَأَنَا أَخَدْتُهَا وَهِيَ إِبْنَةُ عَمِّي He says, look, my wife already has her, Fatima, the daughter of the Prophet She already has her, she's obviously comfortable with her. She recognizes Fatima, she knows Fatima. And she's also my uncle's daughter. I feel a sense of responsibility to care for her. Jafar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he says, Ibnatu Ammi, not only is she my uncle's daughter, so I feel a sense of responsibility, but here's the key thing. He says, tahti. He says, Jafar says, My wife is actually her maternal aunt. This particular daughter of Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, her mother, the wife of Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and the wife of Jafar were sisters. So he says, not only is she my uncle's daughter, but my wife is her aunt, her khala. And then Zayd bin Haritha, he says, Ibn to Akhi, look, O Messenger of Allah, you raised me like as a part of your family, and just like Hamza was always a big brother to you, he was always a big brother to me. She's like my niece. Hamza always looked out for me. I feel a sense of responsibility to look after her daughter, his daughter. So they all make their case. And the Prophet ﷺ, he says, Al-Khalatu bi manzilatil um. Al-Khalatu bi manzilatil um. The Prophet ﷺ says that the maternal aunt, the khala, is in the place of the mother. And I don't want to get into too many technical details and discussions here. Many, you know, anyone who basically has a relationship with their khala, with their mother, sister, kind of knows that that's the dynamic. Your khala is oftentimes a very motherly type figure. Your relationship with her mirrors very much your relationship with your own mother. Very similar dynamic. And then the second thing is also the fact that, and I don't want to get into the technical details here, but based off of this, many of the scholars are also of the opinion that God forbid, God forbid, but in the case and in the instance that a child loses their mother, or even both parents, that the first person in line to take care of the child 
is actually the khala. Because of the statement of the Prophet ﷺ. Because she is closest to being like a mother. And that's why I said, I don't want to get into technical details. Some said, no, it's the maternal grandmother, etc., etc. But nevertheless, that is actually a position based off of this as well. But he says, Al-Khalatu bi manzilatil um. The khala is like in the place of the mother, especially in the absence of the mother. And then he, so therefore, he says that, فَقَضَاهَا Jafar. He says, Ja'far, you will be the guardian, the foster parent of this child. But then, this is something very beautiful. The Prophet ﷺ, and this really tells you something, how sincere each and every single one of them were in really wanting to care for this child, and how they truly wanted to look after this child. That they were, they, were, they were campaigning so hard and they were so sincere and so emotional and so, you know, passionate in their plea. The Prophet ﷺ consoled each and every single one of them with beautiful statements. He said to Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu, don't worry, don't be hurt that I did not allow you this opportunity. He says, anta minni wa ana minka. You are from me and I am from you. We're like this Ali, don't worry. He says to Ja'far, because even though he decided for Ja'far, he decided for Ja'far, not because of Ja'far, but because of Ja'far's wife. And he said that. So he tells, he consoles Ja'far as well. He says, Ashbahta khalqi wa khuluqi. You most resemble me, you resemble me in my looks and in my character, my conduct. Ja'far bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala looked a lot like the Prophet they looked like brothers. They were cousins, but they looked like brothers. They looked very similar. And then not only looking like the Prophet ﷺ is probably, is obviously like a huge honor, but think about what an unbelievable testimonial for someone that the Prophet ﷺ says, your character resembles mine. Subhanallah. And then the Prophet ﷺ turns to Zayd and he says, Anta akhuna wa maulana. Because Zayd wasn't from their family, he was kind of like adopted in to the family. The Prophet ﷺ did not want him to feel like this was as if the Prophet ﷺ was kind of like saying, Oh, listen, you're not family. No, no, he said, Anta akhuna wa maulana. You were right, you are our brother and you are our ally. Meaning, you're my brother and you always got my back. I know I can trust you. This is the unbelievable, beautiful, remarkable character of the Prophet ﷺ. How he understood what was going on with different people. And he could hear their sincerity and their pain. And even when he had to let them down, he let them down so beautifully and so kindly and so gently. By consoling them with words. Telling Ali, you are from me, I am from you. Telling Jafar, you resemble me and your characters like me. Telling Zayd, you're my brother and you have my back. That is the akhlaq, the character of the Prophet ﷺ. That's why we study the seerah, so that we can learn this. And before I move to the next you know, part of the session here, the, the third part, the last part inshallah, the next thing I also wanted to mention was, this, I want everyone to take note of the community the Prophet ﷺ built. The community he built from the inside out. 
He built their character. He built their faith. He built their morals, their ethics, their quality, their, their, their conduct towards one another. And he built such an unbelievable and remarkable community that when Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu's daughter was left behind, nobody felt like it would be a burden on them. How am I supposed to take an extra dependent home? But they were all vying with one another, campaigning against one another to take his daughter home and raise her as one of their own. This is the community the Prophet ﷺ built. This was the community of the Sahaba. This is why we have to study their lives and understand how we can replicate that within our own communities today. The third and the final part of the session I wanted to address today, I wanted to talk about today, is the marriage of the Prophet ﷺ to our mother, the mother of the believers, Maymuna radiallahu ta'ala anha. And the way I'm going to do this is I'd like to kind of overall give like a very brief uh, biographical account, if I may, about her and about her life. Maymuna radiallahu ta'ala anha, her name is Maymuna bint al-Harith al-Hilaliyyah. Maymuna, the daughter of Harith, and her nisbah was al-Hilaliyyah. What's very interesting, so what's very interesting about her, before I actually proceed forward is, her mother is a very remarkable woman. Her mother's name is Hind bint Auf ibn Zuhair ibn al-Harith ibn Hamata ibn Hamir. But her mother's name was Hind. Hind bint Auf. Now, why do I mention her mother specifically like this? There's something very interesting about her. Her mother was blessed with many children. Maymuna radiallahu ta'ala anha, her mother was blessed, like Maymuna radiallahu ta'ala anha, had many siblings. Allow me to mention a few of them. And tell you about who each of her siblings married. It's very interesting. First of all, one of the sisters of Maymuna radiallahu ta'ala anha, so one of the daughters of Hind, is of course Maymuna. Who did she marry? She marries, as we're going to talk about, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Another daughter of Hind, a sister of Maymuna, her name was Ummul Fadl. She was called Ummul Fadl. Her son's name was Fadl. But her name was actually Lubaba. Lubaba al-Kubra, the big Lubaba. Because she had another sister that was named Lubaba as well. She was called Lubaba al-Sughra, little Lubaba. So there was big Lubaba, little Lubaba. They had two sisters with the same names. All right? And so this one was called Umul Fadl. She would go on to be the wife of Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Abbas. The mother, the, 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 the Abbas, the uncle of the Prophet She would become the aunt of the Prophet She is the mother of Abdullah bin Abbas. Remarkable. Okay. Another uh, daughter of Hind, another sister of Maymuna, her name was Lubaba al-Sughra. They called her Lubaba al-Sughra, the little Lubaba. She married not a very, who turned out to be not a very good person. His name was Walid bin Mughira. He was one of the staunchest opponents of the Prophet ﷺ. But you know something very interesting? Guess who her son was? Khalid bin Walid. She is the mother of Khalid bin Walid. So the same woman, Hind, Maymuna's mother, one of her daughters marries the Prophet ﷺ. Another one of her daughters marries Abbas and her grandson is Abdullah bin Abbas. Another one of her grandsons through another daughter is the Khalid bin Walid. Sayfullah, the sword of God. It doesn't even end over there. Another um, one of her daughters was... Um, 
Another one of her daughters' name is Asma. She would marry Ubay bin Khalaf, who was another very staunch opponent of the Prophet ﷺ, unfortunately. And then she had another daughter by the name of Azza, who would marry a man by the name of Ziyad bin Abdullah. But then she had some more children. That would, those were the children she had from one husband. She had some children from another husband as well. One of her daughters was named Asma bint Umais. Asma bint Umais. This is another sister of Maimuna. Asma bint Umais. She was a sahabi of the Prophet and she was the wife of Jafar bin Abi Talib. Alright? Another, and they had children obviously. Jafar bin Abi Talib, this gets even more interesting. Asma bint Umais was known as one of the most knowledgeable women of the Sahaba. She was known as one of the most knowledgeable women of the Sahaba. She was the wife of Jafar bin Abi Talib. And Jafar bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu would be shaqeed. He would die in a battle that we'll be talking about, Ghazwa Muta. After he died, he was shaqeed, he was martyred. She was then married to Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu to take care of her and the children of Jafar. He married the widow of Jafar. Then after Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu would die, would pass away after two years of khilafah, after the Prophet sallallahu then Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu married her. To again look after her, this was his older brothers, Jafar bin Abi Talib, his older brother's widow, who was then married to Abu Bakr, and then Abu Bakr dies as well. So then to take care of her and look after her and the kids as well, then Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu married her. Okay, and, and another one of her daughters, another sister of Maymuna radiallahu ta'ala anha, her name was Salma bint Umais. Salma bint Umais. And she was the wife of Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And after Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu died, then she was married to another sahabi as well, Shaddad ibn Usama. And so for this reason, if you just go down the list of the daughters of this woman, Hind, some of the scholars have mentioned, أَكْرَمُ عَجُوزٍ فِي الْأَرْضِ أَزْهَارًا Hind بِنْتِ عُوف They said the most noble elderly woman in terms of the son-in-laws that she was blessed with, one of the most noble women in terms of the son-in-laws that she was blessed with. And the reason for that is, obviously any parent understands the responsibility, the weight, the burden that you feel about who will your children marry? What kind of people will they marry? Will they be good to them? Will they treat them right? And what kind of children will come from that marriage? So she's noted as maybe one of the most blessed women in terms of son-in-laws. That her son-in-laws, this is the list of her son-in-laws. Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, Hamza Asadullah, Abbas, Ammu Rasulillah, Jafar bin Abi Talib, Jafar al-Tayyar, the one who flies in heaven, Ali bin Abi Talib, Haydar, the Addi Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and Shaddad ibn al-Had, who is another sahabi radiallahu ta'ala anhu. These were her son-in-laws. Such a remarkable woman. So this is something very, very interesting, very notable, that a lot of times we don't fully comprehend, we don't understand how remarkable 
how blessed the people were at the time of the Prophet The quality, the caliber of the people the Prophet was surrounded with. Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu says that God chose them for the companionship of his prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That this one woman, Hind bin Ta'uf, her son-in-laws are the prophets Abu Bakr, Hamza, Abbas, Ja'far, Ali, radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'in. Such amazing, remarkable people who were in the company and in the community of the prophet And these were the people that he had the support of. So now, Moving on to the mother of the believers, Maymuna radiallahu ta'ala anhu, radiallahu ta'ala anha, excuse me. So as I mentioned, her brother-in-law, one of her sisters, Asma bint Umais, was married to Ja'far, the cousin of the Prophet Ja'far and his wife Asma had recently come back from Habasha, from East Africa. As they came back, Ja'far radiallahu ta'ala anhu told the Prophet I have a sister-in-law. I have a sister-in-law, my sister, my, my, my wife's sister. She is not married at the moment. And I think that she would make a remarkable mother of the believers. Will you marry her? And the Prophet ﷺ said, of course, if, she's, um, if she is interested, then yes. And he communicated that to Maymuna radiallahu ta'ala anha. She accepted the proposal. The Prophet ﷺ accepted the proposal. Maymuna radiallahu ta'ala anha at this particular time, she lived at a place called Maqam Sarif. Maqam Sarif. This is about 10 miles outside the city of Mecca. When we went on our Qalam uh, Umrah trip, the Sira Umrah tour, we actually passed by Maqam Sarif and see that place. And I'll tell you why that place is notable. But... She was residing at the place Maqam Sarif. The, as they were coming towards Makkah, they stopped there, the proposal was made, she accepted the proposal, the Prophet ﷺ accepted the proposal, and the marriage contract, the nikah, the kitab was done there, and the Prophet ﷺ offered a mahar of 400 darahim. And the narration mentions that, you know, usually the woman has some family member that gives her away, so one of her older sisters was Umul Fadl, the wife of Abbas. So her, she had called her sister from Makkah to Sarif, can you please come, I have a marriage proposal. And so Umul Fadl came and Abbas, the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ also came. And this was also a very special moment for the Prophet ﷺ. Abbas ﷺ, by the way, he had accepted Islam at this time, but he was still keeping his Islam quiet and hidden in Makkah. But he came and the, she asked her sister, can you please you know, represent me in the marriage? And she said, my husband, Abbas will represent you. So it was very touching for the Prophet ﷺ that his own uncle was also the one marrying away the woman who was marrying him. So it's like he was representing both sides of the family. It was very touching. So in this way, the marriage occurred. And the Prophet ﷺ, the contract was done. They proceeded on towards Makkah. They performed the Umrah. And that's why, what we talked about in the beginning of the session, the Prophet ﷺ asked the people of Makkah, May you, would you allow me, there's so, many, so much family here, that we would just basically have the walima and have the wedding, the actual marriage over here. And they, of course, were rude. And they said no. And the Prophet ﷺ said, okay, that's fine. And he went ahead and proceeded on. And they went back to the place of Sarif, the same place where she resided, and that's where they had the walima. That's where they moved in together, and that's where they had the walima. So now two things, very interestingly, two things. Maymuna radiallahu ta'ala anha, her marriage contract, the nikah ceremony was at the place of Sarif. 
her moving in with the Prophet ﷺ, her walima was at the place of Sarif as well. And it goes on to mention that she of course would be a mother of the believers. Um, and she specifically brought up in some instances from the life of the Prophet ﷺ in Medina because Abdullah bin Abbas was her nephew as well. So whenever the Prophet ﷺ would come over to stay at the home of Maymuna radiallahu ta'ala anha, Abdullah bin Abbas would come over that day and basically shadow the Prophet ﷺ and kind of get some personal access to the Prophet ﷺ, some special access. Not only that, Maymuna radiallahu ta'ala anha was a very remarkable um, teacher of the ummah, even after the Prophet ﷺ. She's narrated more than 70, nearly 80 ahadith from the Prophet ﷺ. Five of them are found in, or six of them I believe, are found in the Sahihain. One in Sahih Bukhari and five of them are in Sahih Muslim. But in total, there's 77 or 79 narrations that she mentions from the Prophet ﷺ. The, the, of course, she, her and the Prophet ﷺ's marriage is another one of those you know, relationships that is a role model. Something for all of us to aspire to. And this is a little bit of a sensitive issue, but it demonstrates a very integral, very important part of marriage and a sound relationship. That the intimacy and, if you will, the romance within the marriage was something that was very strong in terms of their expression of love towards one another. And she narrates this in a sahih, in an authentic narration. She says, Kuntu ana. That the Prophet and I both bathed from the same container. And it demonstrates again that intimacy, that love, that physical intimacy the Prophet taught us is such an integral part of marriage and that, those relationships. And the mother of the believers, she shares that with us, even though it's something so private. But she shares that with us. Why? For our own benefit. For our own good. So that we understand. That you have to invest into your relationships. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. In order to have a good, strong, sound relationship. And the narration goes on to mention that, or, or the, just overall her story, one other thing I forgot to mention about her. Her name was originally Barra. Just like another wife of the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ did not like that name because as I've explained in a previous session, so the Prophet ﷺ gave her the name Maymuna, which basically means blessed. Comes from Yameen, like right hand blessed. And the narration mentions that when the pro or, or the books of uh, history and seerah mention that when the prophet the uh, the prophet ﷺ passed away and maymuna radiyallahu ta'ala anha survived the prophet ﷺ, and after the passing of the prophet ﷺ, she eventually moved back to the place of sarif and she passed away there and she is buried there till today and that's why i was saying that it's very notable to pass by that place of sarif that seemed like that place had a very special meaning and purpose for her life her nikah with the Prophet ﷺ was done there. Her walima with the Prophet ﷺ was conducted there. And she passed away there and she is buried there. Abdullah bin Abbas, her nephew, performed her janazah at the place of Sarif and she was laid to rest there. And she passed away in the year um, 63 after Hijrah. 63, 63 after Hijrah. So she passed away about 53 years after the Prophet ﷺ. 
So she lived for a very, very long time after the Prophet And the thing that I really wanted to mention, um, kind of as a conclusion here, is she's a mother of the believers. Maimuna radiallahu ta'ala anha is a mother of the believers. A wife of the Prophet That in and of itself is such a remarkable virtue for anyone. That enough is enough virtue for her. However, some, it mentions something very remarkable. It says that when she passed away, Abdullah al-Khawlani, Abdullah al-Khawlani who would go on to become a great scholar, he was an orphan and she was raising him. This is a mother of the believers, a wife of the Prophet a teacher of the ummah. But she still feels such a profound responsibility to constantly be a part of the solution. To do good work in the ummah. To make the world a better place. That even at that very old senior age, 53 years after the Prophet passed away, when she's an elderly woman, she was raising an orphan. And when she passed away, there was an orphan being raised within her home. These are those blessed people. We study the life of the Prophet to learn about them, to be inspired by them. To be more like them. One last thing that just totally escaped me uh, that I wanted to mention because I thought it was very interesting. Going back to the second thing I had mentioned about the adoption of the daughter of Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Ali, Ja'far and Zaid were all kind of campaigning. And when the Prophet decided in the favor of uh, Ja'far radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the narration says Ja'far radiallahu ta'ala anhu started kind of jumping. Like almost like skipping. He started jumping around the Prophet Hajala hawla Rasulillahi sallallahu Like started jumping around like around the Prophet sallallahu Hopping around. And the Prophet sallallahu said, Ma hadha ya Ja'far? <laughs> he said, what's, what's this? What are you doing? And Ja'far radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said, Hakadha fa'alahu an najashi I found that whenever Najashi, the king Najashi, remember we had talked about? The king of Abyssinia, who died a believer. And the Prophet prayed his janazah all the way in Medina. He said when he used to receive good news, he used to jump and hop like this. When he would receive good news about you, O Prophet of Allah, he would jump and hop like this. So I, lear- I saw him do it and I learned it from him and I just felt like it was the appropriate time to do that. But you know something more interesting? The Prophet didn't reprimand him and tell him not to do it. Just a little notes, a little food for thought, a little something to chew on. I don't want to go way too off the deep end here. But just something to chew on. That being uptight is not necessarily the religion. And being uptight is not the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Being human and recognizing your humanity and living in the moment and understanding every situation, that's part of the sunnah and that's true humanity and that's our deen and our religion. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the ability to practice everything that's been said and heard. Subhanallah bihamdihi, subhanakallah bihamdik, nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiraka wa natubu ilayk. Barakafi. Oh, Shaykh. Inshallah.